going to introduce uh, the wonderful Mr. Hayter, uh, who's going to come and do our next installment of the ACT series. He's probably really disgruntled with me now because I've shortened his time for preaching <laughs> significantly. Father, I pray that you'd bless this man. Uh, Father, I pray you'd use him to speak your words into our hearts. Lord, I pray that you'd give us ears to hear what you're saying uh, to us this morning. Um, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, now I have a public excuse to go over if I need to. <laughs> Don't worry, we won't. It's good to see you all. It's good to, good to be with you. We're uh, in our series on Acts. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to jump straight in. Acts chapter 13. And um, we're going to read verses 1 to 12. And um, at the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus said, Jesus told his disciples, this is Acts 1 verse 8, don't turn there, you're still trying to find Acts 13 at the moment, but in Acts 1 verse 8, he said this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what we've seen so far in Acts is that the church has received the power of the Spirit. They've been proclaiming the good news of Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and we've started to see a few people who are not from a Jewish background respond to the gospel. So a few different people. But now, in the passage we're going to read, we get a turning point, a kind of I was there kind of moment. The kind of, I happen to be at that gig. In this case, it's I happen to be in that particular worship meeting where suddenly the mission goes to the ends of the earth. And that's what we're going to read Today we're going to start reading the beginning of the mission of proclaiming the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And so we're in Acts chapter 13, it's going to be verses 1 to 12. So let's read the word of God together. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul, then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is the word of God. So we've got a, a worship service where the Holy Spirit suddenly speaks. And the Holy Spirit says, in the middle of perhaps a meeting quite like this, the Holy Spirit speaks probably through a, a prophet. He says this, verse 2, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the work which I have called them to. Take Barnabas and Saul, who's also called Paul, that's pretty much what he's known as for the rest of the book of Acts. I want you to set them apart and send them off to do the thing that I've called them to. And the question is, what was that thing? What is the work that they've been called to? 
Well, if you've read the book of Acts so far with us, you'll, you might remember in Acts chapter 9, when Saul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, Jesus says this about Saul. He says, Acts chapter 9, verse 15, Go, for he, Saul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. In other words, God has a purpose for Saul, and his purpose is that Saul, Paul, would preach the good news of Jesus to those who have no idea about the God of Israel, to those who have no background in Judaism whatsoever, to those who don't have any idea about the Exodus, about David, about the Psalms, about the prophets, who have never heard of this God, I want you to preach the good news that the Messiah, the Christ Jesus, has come and that he's been raised from the dead. And I want you to preach that to all of the nations. And what a wonderful thing to be called to. And so that's what Saul and Barnabas are going to be sent out to do. And I, I want to just pause here because one of the things that we feel the Holy Spirit has said to us as a church, in fact, through prophetic words, is actually that we feel that as a church that we want, we want to be a church a bit like the church in Antioch, which is where this worship meeting happens. It's a very diverse church. That's one of the things that we feel called to be. But one of the key things we feel called to be is to be like the church in Antioch in the sense that we send people to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus in other nations. That's why it's so important to us. I mean, it should be important to all churches, but there's a sense in which we feel this is something particularly that God has spoken about. That's why it's so important to us that we're sending the Vertigals over to Holland, to Nijmegen, to tell people the good news of Jesus. And this isn't just something for them. This isn't just something for professional missionaries. This is something for every single one of us. For some of us, it might mean going. I mean, I would love it if there were people here today who, as I said, that might involve going. You suddenly go, I'd be excited at that. I'd be excited going to another country, perhaps a country where no one has even heard the name Jesus. There are still people groups around the world where you say the name Jesus and no one has a clue what you're talking about. Maybe some of you, there's that almost, that, that was something that was very, very dear to the heart of Paul. You read Romans 15, he says, I make it my ambition to proclaim Christ, not where he's already been proclaimed, but where he's never been named. And maybe for some of you, even as I'm talking, you're starting to think, I would be excited about the idea of taking Jesus to a nation where he has never been preached before. Well, it might be that you get excited about going somewhere where he has been preached, but there's not enough Christians and they need to hear the good news. If that's the case, please do come and find us as leaders because we, we want to make sure that we're able to help you with that. We want to make sure that as a church, we're able to send people out to do that. That's part of what we want to be as a church. I'm sure for all of us, it will probably involve giving. If you're giving to this church, if you consider yourself a member of Life Church and you give regularly, it's encouraging to know that part of your giving is going to supporting planting churches around the world. It's a wonderful thing to be able to give to and praying as well. Whether we go or whether we stay, we want to be people who are so excited about the good news of Jesus going to all nations that we regularly pray for those that we know who are going to the nations, but just generally, where nations that God puts on our heart and say, God, would you please, would you please spread the good news here? Would you please multiply churches in that particular nation? So we want that to mark us out as a church because we want to be a church that has a big vision. Not so that we can say, hey, we've got a big vision, look at us, but so that we can be biblical, so that we can say, actually, whether I go or whether I stay, I want to be excited about the good news of Jesus going to all nations. That's part of what it means to grow in maturity as a Christian is to say, I, I want to get excited about things that I will never necessarily see myself. 
I'm going to get excited about the fact that people are coming to know Jesus all around the world. And that's why we want to play our part in that. But that started in Acts chapter 13. And it starts with Saul and Barnabas being sent out. And so they get sent out. And then for the next couple of chapters of Acts, which is what we're going to look at for the next three weeks, they basically go on what, what is often called their first missionary journey, where they're going around. Well, they go to Cyprus. In fact, maybe we can have the map up. Those of you who like maps, um, they go to Cyprus. So you can see Antioch at the start. That's where they started. They go off to Cyprus, which is the passage we've been looking at today. And then next week and the week after, we're going to look at how they go around what is basically kind of southern modern-day Turkey, but was um, called those different places at the time, Lycia, Galatia, Cilicia, and they go around proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And so first of all, they arrive in Cyprus, and we can read about this in verses 4 to 12 of the passage that we read. And so they start at this place called Salamis, and they move their way through the island, proclaiming the good news of Jesus as they go. And then they arrive at Paphos, which you can see the other side of Cyprus. And something really interesting happens when they arrive at Paphos. They meet, well, they meet two people. One of the people that they meet is someone called Sergius Paulus, which is a wonderful name for a child if you are looking for baby names. Um, And he is the ruler or the proconsul. He's the ruler on behalf of the Romans of the whole of Cyprus. And he wants to hear the good news about Jesus. I mean, talk about an opportunity. The ruler of the whole of Cyprus is basically inviting Saul and Barnabas into his house to hear the good news of Jesus. But there's also another guy that they meet, and his name is Bar-Jesus. No relationship to the Jesus that we worship, that's just his name. He's also known by another name, which was Elymas, to find out about him. And he's called a magician. Now, don't think of a guy with a pointy hat and a, a wand. Think of someone who is doing signs and wonders, not by the power of God, but by the power of the devil or Satan. And he's also called a false prophet. And uh, biblically, what a false prophet is, is someone who speaks words that will take people away from God. So it's not just someone who stands up and says, I think God's saying this, and they get it slightly wrong. It's someone who is telling people to do things that actually would lead them to go away from God. And so this guy is called a, a false prophet. And so as... Paul and Barnabas are trying to preach the gospel to this ruler of Cyprus. This magician, this false prophet, you can almost imagine them in a court, kind of Sergius Paulus sitting on his chair in his lounge, and Paul and Barnabas are preaching the gospel, and on the other side you've got Bar-Jesus going, don't listen to them. They're not telling you something that's true. And what he was trying to do, tells us in verse 8, is he was seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. He's trying to keep the ruler from responding to the gospel. Or the way that Saul puts it, or Paul puts it in verse 10, he was making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. I don't know if there are any runners in the room or any people who like running 5Ks, 10Ks, marathons maybe even. Um, You'll know if you do road races, it's a bit easier on a track, you just keep going round and round, there's no way of going off course. But if you run a road race, you will have people called marshals. Uh, It's not that they're all called Marshall, it's just that they happen to wear a high-vis jacket and they tend to guide people in the way that they need to go. And um, I watched a video relatively recently of it. It's a pretty major marathon, I think, and you've got these Ethiopians and Kenyans leading the way, running faster than most of us can sprint. And the Marshalls make a mistake and they send them the wrong way. And after a few seconds, they realize and then they go back and they're all really annoyed because they've lost precious seconds for the thousands of pounds that they'd win if they win the race. Now, that marshal sent them the wrong way by mistake. This magician here is doing it on purpose. It's a bit like he's a false marshal. He's saying, I know that that is the direction that these guys want you to run in. 
I'm going to tell you to run in a slightly different direction. He's making, as it says here, crooked, straight paths. He's saying, take a, take a right turn here. And behind this, behind what's going on here, is the work of the enemy. It's important that we realize this. This is not just a human being talking to another human being. This is the enemy at work trying to convince someone not to respond to the gospel. And the reason we know that is that Saul calls him something that's not particularly nice. It says in verse 10, you son of the devil, you enemy of righteousness. That's a pretty insulting thing to say. And it doesn't mean that he's literally the devil's son. What it means is you are doing the work of the enemy. By trying to turn this person away from trusting in Jesus, you are doing the work of the enemy. And it's so important that we realize this because if we only look at situations from a human point of view, we're going to end up becoming complacent. And we will end up forgetting that we have an enemy who is desperate to try and distract us and to try and distract those who do not know Jesus from running towards him. And if we're not aware of that, we can just coast through life and slowly we get taken off course by the false marshal, whoever that might be. And we need to be aware of this. And so the question really, for me and for you, is who is the false prophet or the false prophets in your life? What is the false message or the false messages that you are being fed? That could be individuals. That could be messages that are coming more widely from culture. But we need to recognize that behind those messages, there's an enemy who is trying to distract us from Jesus. What is it for you? What is it for me? It could be, it could be family members. It could be that some of you are here today and you're thinking, I, you know what, I don't yet follow Jesus. I'd, actually, I'd love to, but I'm aware of what my mum or my dad will say if I make that decision. For some of you, there's the, it could be unspoken. Or it could be that they're very vocal about the way that they will treat you if you do respond to the gospel. It could be that some of you actually are from backgrounds and cultures where you realize, if I take this step of following Jesus, I know what it's going to cost me. My family are going to disown me. And Satan can use those things to try and distract us away from Jesus, as painful as they are. It could be that you have the experience of sharing the good news of Jesus with people, maybe some friends at school or at work, and there's one person in particular who every time you're talking about Jesus is desperately trying to stop you. Again, we're not fighting against people. We're recognizing what's going on behind the scenes. So we don't want to become the people who bash everyone and say, you're a false prophet, you're a false prophet. We want to recognize that there is a battle going on spiritually. And we need to see that. It could be ideas that whether that's coming through individuals or through culture more generally, but ways in which Satan is trying to veer us off course in the way that he has done very much since the Garden of Eden by saying, did God really say this? That's how he distracted Eve. That's how he tempted Eve. He said, did God really say that you shouldn't eat of every tree in the garden? Did God really say? Where we start listening to messages and thinking, I'm not sure that I trust what the Bible says anymore. I'm not sure I believe what it actually says. Maybe for some of us it's, did God really say that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you? For some of you, that might be the message that, the, that Satan is prodding you with at the moment. But I don't think that's really true, is it? Come on, you've messed up too much. You have messed up too much to come back to Jesus. And some of you may be believing that, and I want you today to recognize the demonic lie that's behind that. 
then actually you can come back to Jesus, that he accepts us and forgives us. It could be, as we were, as we were singing that song, you're never going to let me down, never going to let me down. Is Satan saying to some of you, did God really say, if you put your trust in me, you won't be put to shame? And you may be thinking, well, I've put my trust in Jesus and I've seen a whole load of things go wrong in my life. Maybe that's not true. It could be, did God really say that he cares who you sleep with? Did God really say that he cares what you do with your money? Or it's a kind of, well, I'll take the Jesus bit, but there are some other bits that I'm not too sure about and actually aren't very popular in culture and I'm not really too sure I believe those bits. Something We need to recognize what's going on behind those messages. For me, as I've been praying about that, what is it in my life? What are the messages that I'm believing? What are the, the false prophets, so to speak? And we're not necessarily talking about individuals or people. So don't think, oh, is it my granddad? Or so? No, that's not what we're thinking. We're thinking, what are the, the lies that Satan's trying to get us to believe? For me, I'm thinking, actually, sometimes I feel prodded by, did God really say that one day there's going to be a resurrection of the dead and a new creation and that every painful thing that has gone on in this life will be repaid? Did God really say that? Now, I believe that theologically. In fact, I'm passionate about teaching that. Telling people, there's a day coming where Christ will return and we'll be raised from the dead and live with him forever. Do I really believe it? Do I really live like that's actually the case? And I just I felt challenged over the last few weeks going, I am so often preoccupied with the day-to-day, more interested and giving more attention to whether I have enough money for certain things or whether I have the comforts that I need and forgetting that I'm meant to be living for the day that's coming. So Satan has these ways of trying to distract us, turn us away. But the question for us is, who wins this battle? The question is, whose word actually wins the day? Is it the word of the false prophet in this story, or is it the word of God? Because if it's the word of the false prophet, we're all in trouble. We're just going to get consumed by all of these messages that get sent our way. But in this story, it's pretty clear who wins. Let's reread verses 11 to 12. So Saul looks at this guy and he says, And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. There's no doubt whose word wins in this story. The word of this false prophet versus the word of Paul and Barnabas, who were preaching the word of God, and the Holy Spirit strikes this man blind temporarily in order to demonstrate this word is the one that wins. Your word's a lie, this one is the word that wins. And what an encouragement that is. When you're preaching the gospel, telling your friends about Jesus, and you're finding resistance, to remember the word of the gospel wins. At the end of the day, the word of God wins. What an encouragement when we're facing those lies and we're thinking, can I trust what the Bible says? Can I trust what God says? However appealing it might sound, like the, the other messages. I mean, this guy was a magician, which means, again, he was able to do things that looked convincing. Our culture is able to send messages that look appealing, that look attractive. And in those moments, we've got a decision to make, am I going to trust the word that is going to win, or am I going to trust the word that I'm being fed at the moment? And it's an encouragement that every time we trust the word of God, we won't be put to shame. It might cause temporary problems in this life, but we will not be put to shame as we trust in it. It's wonderful. 
And the reason that this message wins isn't because it's humanly appealing. It's not because it makes sense to human beings. In fact, if you read the beginning of 1 Corinthians, Paul, the Apostle Paul, same guys here, goes out of his way to say, the message I proclaimed was foolishness to the world. I talked to people about a man who was crucified and said, you need to put your trust in him to be saved. Makes no sense. I mean, no one would dream up that kind of plan to rescue humanity. It's folly to the world. But when that word is proclaimed, the Holy Spirit puts its stamp of approval. He puts his stamp of approval on it. And that can be through signs and wonders, as in this story, or it can be through the fact that when you hear the word of God proclaimed, you suddenly go, I believe it. I believe it. I can't explain it. I realize, humanly speaking, it's not attractive. I realize, humanly speaking, there's nothing logically why you would go about saving humanity like that. But I believe it. The Holy Spirit's been at work in me. And that's it. this is what happened to this ruler. He saw what went on, and it says in verse 12, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He said, I know which word wins, and I'm amazed at it. Are you amazed? Are you astonished at the word of the Lord? Are you astonished at the teaching of Jesus? I want to be increasingly. I realize so often there's the, these, again, these false prophets fighting to try and distract me from the goal. I want to ask the Holy Spirit to help me to be amazed and astounded by the good news. That's why we preach every Sunday. One of the reasons that we preach is because we trust that however, that simply explaining and applying the Bible to our lives has power because this word is the word that the Holy Spirit confirms, whereas the word that the world proclaims to us does not get the confirmation of the Spirit. That's why we preach. And so I want to grow in that. I want to grow in becoming more astounded by the word of God. But maybe some of you here today, again, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Maybe you've not made that decision to follow Jesus. And as I've been speaking, you've suddenly found yourself going, I am astounded by this. You know what, I've actually heard this message before and it didn't really impact me, but as you've re-explained it today, suddenly it's like my eyes have been opened. I'm suddenly going, this is amazing. You're telling me that Jesus can save me, that Jesus can take me and reconcile me to God. And if that's the case, and you're suddenly finding yourself astounded by the teaching about Jesus, that's because the Holy Spirit is at work in you. That's because the Holy Spirit is taking the word and it's saying it's true. And if that's you, I'd love to talk to you after. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to trust in him and to be rescued out of everything that stops you being what God has created you to be, how you can be reconciled to God. But for the rest of us, I'd, like, I'd love to finish by praying that we would have the response that this ruler has as we hear, as we read, as we think about the word of God, that we would be astounded increasingly and so that increasingly those false marshals, those false prophets, those lies, those other messages become less and less compelling. Because we go, well, why would I believe that? It's so obvious that what God says is the right thing. It's so obvious that what God says is true. It's so obvious that what God says, however painful it might be temporarily, is actually going to lead to much better joy for me eternally. So why don't we, maybe if you're, if you're able, why don't we stand? And I'm going to pray for us that we would that the Holy Spirit would confirm what has been preached and that he would open our hearts to be amazed at the word of God afresh. Father, I thank you for the good news of Jesus. Father, I thank you that you said in the wisdom of God, 
God did not save the world through wisdom, but he saved the world through the foolish message of the cross because the wisdom of God, the folly, the foolish message of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. I thank you that you chose to save humanity through something that no one would have dreamt up, but that is completely and utterly true. And so, Father, I pray right now, I pray for myself, I pray for my brothers and sisters, I pray that you would help us to be freshly amazed and astounded by the word of God, by the teaching about Jesus, by the gospel. Help us, Lord. I pray that we would wake up daily and go, I can't believe it. It's amazing. I, I, I believe it, but I just can't believe it. It's true. It's amazing. Lord, we pray that that would happen. And I pray, Father, for those here who do not know you, who have never made that decision, I pray that they would be amazed, that they would suddenly go, yeah, I, why would I want to live in the way that the world tells me I should live? I want to live for Jesus. I want to follow him. So, Father, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would confirm the message of the good news of Jesus in our hearts. Help us to identify ways in which we've been listening to the lies of the enemy and help us to replace those lies with the wonderful, powerful, true, spirit-approved message of God. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.